Happy New Year's Eve. Um, I love New Year's uh, for a lot of reasons. First one is, uh, when I was a kid especially, we got to stay up. My parents actually let us stay up. They let us stay up until midnight. And I think until I was 15, I only was able to stay up for about a, a one out of the 15 times, right? But I was always excited for the opportunity. And then now as an adult, I get excited because I love the idea of new goals, right? And new Year's resolutions. I love the idea of planning for the future and coming up with something to look forward to. And uh, I'm sure some of you guys are looking, you guys have been thinking about those New Year's resolutions too. And so my question is here, start off, is have you ever made a New Year's resolution that you actually managed to complete? Anybody? Oh, that's great. Okay, that's good. If not, you're not alone. Every year, 38.5% of American adults make a resolution, yet only 9% of the people keep it. Of those who do quit, 23% don't make it through the first week. And 64% have given up by February. The most common broken New Year's resolutions all surround making healthier life choices, such as quitting drinking, smoking, eating healthier, losing some weight, and exercising more. And I'm sure none of us here have that problem, you know, any of these things, right? Now, while we want to see the change of our yearly resolutions bring, to our, um, bring us life, we're not always willing to fully commit to that change. Then what happens next is that people give up because they lose that motivation and they have not prioritized their goals. Or they swap their resolutions for newer, more relevant personal goals. Perhaps this year instead of resolutions, rather than adding something new to an already busy schedule, we should start a new year with a strategic plan to, be, to, to begin removing old, destructive habits and mindsets that are preventing us from stepping into all God has in store for this upcoming year. When we are committed to letting go of these things that are holding us back from making our dreams a reality, we become more motivated to see the new changes. And maybe this year is less about us and more about him. And here's the reality. It can be frightening to let go of the things God asks us to do. We can hold tightly to what we're familiar with. Even if we know it's not best for us in the long run, rather than embracing a change that requires us to step out in faith, to trust God more, we gravitate gravitate towards remaining in our comfort zone. So my my question we're going to be asking a lot today is, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that God is asking you to give up? And I always think this is just a great thing to talk about on New Year's, either after New Year's or right before New Year's, because it gets us thinking. We're thinking about new things. So what is God asking you to let go of? Jesus, in his time on earth, had to address this issue as well. How do I get rid of the old and bring in the new? How do I get rid of the old and bring in the new? And that starts us off on our first verse, verse 18. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, 
Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, before we get into Jesus' answer, let me give you some context. What is fasting? What was fasting like in Israel at the time? Who fasted? Why did they fast? How often did they fast? We need to know these things to understand the story. Fasting is essentially giving up food or something else for a period of time in order to focus your thoughts and your prayers on God. You're replacing that meal with time with God. And as far as the Bible and the Old Testament was concerned, there was only one fast mandated for God's people each year, and that was the Day of Atonement. Israel would abstain from food, and you see this in Leviticus 16, 29 through 30. That's it. One fast a year. Though they were allowed to fast more often, they were only required by Scripture one day each year. And the Bible does describe, however, additional times of fasting, usually during a time of grief or sorrow, weeping or an emergency. When Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, when Ezra implored them to repent of sin, or when there was a war, a plague, a drought came upon them, the nation would fast. And additionally, individuals would fast in response to personal tragedies, such as death of a loved one, sickness, or other, other personal trials. But the Pharisees had developed fasting into a religious practice. For them, fasting was not a response to the pains of life, but a ritual. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays and drew attention to themselves in the process. Jesus actually mentioned them on the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew, in Matthew 6, 16. He says, and when you fast, do not, look like the, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. We see Jesus, is, Jesus already has a problem with the way that the, the religious people are fasting. And he's bringing it up again. And when these people fasted, again, it wasn't for an emergency. It wasn't for sorrow. It wasn't for trying to get God's attention, but rather it was to show people that they were holy. It was to show people that there was something special about them. So they would actually make their face disfigured and they would, they would, they would look you know, sad and people would see them and be like, oh, look, he's so holy. He's fasting. What a holy guy, right? It wasn't about God. It was about the outward appearance for them. And we also learn here in this passage that the disciples of John also fasted. John's whole preaching ministry was designed to prepare the way for the Messiah Christ. John was in prison during this time, most likely, and so it's possible his disciples fasted for their beloved leader who was in prison, but it's likely they fasted as a way to pray for the Messiah's coming. They wanted Christ to come. And in Mark 2, Jesus is confronted by people who are curious to know why the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, would fast, but his own disciples did not. And again, at this time, these stricter Pharisees fasted twice each week to demonstrate their religious piety. It would have been unusual for a rabbi's disciples to avoid fasting since fasting was an important practice to join with prayer or patience. So here's the reality. They're asking this big question. They're saying, we're all doing this. Why are your guys not doing this? What's wrong with you? And so Jesus responds to them. He says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. 
And then he goes on, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth and on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So Jesus' response to their question includes three short parables about, fa- uh, about fasting at a wedding, patching an old garment, and pouring new wine into old wineskins. The first being a wedding um, reminds me a lot of, of my wedding. That's why when I think of weddings, I just think about my wedding. Uh, June 19th, 2010, I got married to the most amazing person, she's over there, that God gave me. And... I just remember the celebration. We got married in Turlock, and then um, I'm Portuguese, so then we were able to rent out a Portuguese hall, um, one of my uncles let us use. And I just remember that time just being a big celebration. If you've ever been to a Portuguese wedding, there's like 600 of us there. Um, and we're just eating and eating, and, and then there's more stuff that comes out, treats, and there's dancing. And it is just an awesome time, and it's all to celebrate the marriage between my wife and I. And during this time, um, if, if you look at this, this our, my wedding with my wife was nothing compared to the weddings that they would have during ancient Israel time. The things that they partook in whenever a bride and groom tied the knot. For seven days, the whole village would party. The newly married couple was treated like royalty for a full week. And the friends and guests had no responsibilities but to enjoy the festivities. That's all they had to do. And the whole thing started whatever, or during a specific window of time, the groom decided to show, right? And the trumpets blasted and the party got started, right? That, you can imagine that. You're all waiting and then all of a sudden, there he is. Boop, boop, boop. I'm sure it was a different noise. <laughs> but they all, everyone goes, yeah, it's happening. So when Jesus gave his answer, they were all well aware of the joy that a wedding brought. And Jesus says, can the wedding's guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. See, they knew wedding guests or friends of the groom would never fast as long as the wedding celebration was happening. In fact, Jesus says they could not fast because the religious authorities actually outlawed this behavior. Apparently, some felt uh, some of these religious figures felt that they should still fast even during a wedding. So they actually had to make a law: no fasting during a wedding. So, what is Jesus saying here with this whole wedding? Well, he's saying, look at verse nineteen: He is like the bridegroom, and his disciples are like the wedding guests. The bridegroom had arrived, he's present. And the only proper response was feasting, not fasting. And it was necessary for the disciples to rejoice because they had Jesus with them. They had the son of God. They had the one they were waiting for. He's right there. And the idea of the wedding imagery Jesus used is simple. It's about Jesus. God is here. He came, and the disciples would be foolish to do anything other than to celebrate his presence. That's his answer to them. I'm here. Why would they fast? 
This leads me to my first point. Jesus is our cause for joy. I just want you to take a moment. Think about 2023. For some of you, a lot of exciting things. Maybe you had a new child, new grandchild come into the family. Maybe you bought your first house, got a new car, got straight A's, whatever it might be. It was an exciting time. And you have the opportunity to express joy and go, this was great. For some of us, it was not. It's a year that we wish we could forget. But in both of those situations, I think we need to think about our cause for joy. What's the reason we have joy? See, 2024 is coming up tomorrow, right? See you guys next year after this sermon. And there's a lot of things that we look forward to and we go, this is exciting. And then there's other things we look forward to and we say, not again, right? I I think of our presidential election that's going to happen next year and how mean everybody gets towards one another. It hurts me. And I think, I don't want that. I don't want to see that again. It's annoying. (laughs) And then I think about how I have friends and family members who are going through hard things and who are going to be going through chemo in the future and are, are wondering, how many more years do I still have? Here's the great thing. Regardless of where you are and what's happening in your life, we can know that Jesus is the cause for joy and that we can have joy in all situations. Again, and in tough times, it's important to remember we have the root cause of all true joy. Believers have Jesus. He has come. We have a personal relationship with God because the Son of God made a way for us to connect to our Father in heaven. And he gives us his spirit, his indwelling presence in us is our true source of joy. In one sense, we need to receive Jesus' permission to have joy. It's, a, it's tempting to become troubled and depressed, overwhelmed and stressed. But we have Jesus And because we have him, we have a reason for gladness and joy. Like wedding guests in the middle of a celebration. We get to party because Jesus has come. And we know him. And don't lose this, church. King Jesus has come. King Jesus reigns supreme, and King Jesus will come again. Though pestilence looms, Jesus will come. Even if, God forbid, death takes us, Jesus will one day resurrect us. If we worship at the altar of money, health, or a sense of control, our joy will only be temporary. But if we worship and honor the true God, if we rejoice over Jesus, we can have joy that lasts. The bridegroom has come. He is ours. Let me give you some practical ways to cultivate some of this joy. Go really fast through this. One, read about Jesus, his life, the things that he's done. It's so refreshing. Recall those things. See what Jesus did. Open that scripture. It's like good medicine for your soul. Feeds it. Two, talk with Jesus. Spend time walking and talking with your Lord. He will help you recapture your joy that you need. 
with the joy that you're looking for. Three, obey Jesus. Nothing saps our joy like disobedience. In the darkness, we struggle for joy, but there is gladness when walking in Jesus, Jesus' light. Obey what God's calling you to do. It brings so much joy. And last for that, remember Jesus' eternal kingdom. When life is chaotic, we must recall the ultimate destiny of all God's children. And that's being in the presence with our loving and amazing creator. But, not but to what I just said, but Jesus had more to say. <laughs> so let's continue. Mark 2.20 says this. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. So he's answering that question. He's saying, they're asking, why aren't you guys fasting? He says, why would you fast? I'm here. The bridegroom's here. This is a party. We should be rejoicing. But then he does say, there is going to come a day. And this is twofold, maybe even threefold, right? That he, he could be referring to him dying in the future. And then during that time of sorrow and, and the disciples trying to figure out what's going on, I'm sure there wasn't, much, there wasn't much eating going on. There was fasting going on. It could even be talking about um, Jesus coming back again and us as believers holding on and remembering and fasting during those times. Because let me just make this clear. Fasting is not a bad thing. It was the way the religious leaders were fasting that was the problem. But the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that I'm here at this moment. Let's celebrate Get away from doing something just to do it because you think it's right or it makes you feel good. Instead, do what I'm telling you to do. Celebrate with me. I'm here. But after making this point, through the, the, the imagery of wedding, Jesus used two more illustrations to make one more massive point. Verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Remember, the disciples of John and the Pharisees wondered why Jesus didn't fast. They questioned his practices. Why aren't you doing what we do? These are all well-established traditions, rhythms, and routines. And so who are you, Jesus, to mess with the system? Do you think you're better than us? This is kind of the question they're asking. Now, Jesus uses, again, two images to demonstrate this now outdated religious ways they practiced. First, he said, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and then from the old, and a worse tear is made. <clears throat> we, um, we all understand this first image. If you patch an old garment with new material, the unshrunk material will shrink when washing and it'll create a worse tear of the old garment. We understand that, right? But the illustration for the, the wineskins, the second one, where he says that no one puts new wine into old wineskins is something a little harder for us modern readers to understand, in those days, they actually stored wine, wine in wineskins. And these wineskins were often made of the skin of a goat. 
And all the holes would be tied off, and they'd empty the goat skin, and it would be filled with wine. And the unfermented wine needed a fresh goat skin. During fermentation, the wine would actually expand, and the wine skin needed to expand with it. And if it was an old, ragged, or already stretched out wineskin, the new wine would burst when fermentation occurred. So wine and wineskin would be destroyed. I actually had a picture of this so you guys could see, and my wife said, that's disgusting, you cannot put that up. So it was an old wineskin, I'm so sorry, so I'm trying to describe it the best I can. So what is Jesus saying? What does he intend with these two images? Well, remember that he's talking to the religion of that day. They wanted Jesus to adopt their practices. Jesus is letting them know, I'm not an old patch. I'm not old wine. I'm a new cloth and new wine. I cannot be added to you. I came to fulfill and replace you. And he did not come as an add-on, right, to Judaism, but to fulfill the fulfillment and replacement of it. And this speaks to, to us of the unmixable nature of the gospel. It does not mix with Judaism. It does not mix with any other religion. And in an age when diversity of belief is championed, it's good to remember the exclusive claims of Christ. He does not mix with anything else. He came to bring something new. Ezekiel 36, 26, he prophesies this. He says, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And this brings me to my next point. Jesus is not an add-on or an upgrade. Jesus is not an add-on or an upgrade. Jesus did not intend his ministry to patch the old ways of doing things, nor fit within the old systems and structures that were being used. A wedding, a new wine, a new garment are all symbols of newness that the coming of, that the coming of Jesus brings. The newness cannot be confined to the old forms as well as our old behaviors and mindsets cannot be contained to the newness that Jesus brings into our hearts when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul describes this change as being a new creation in Christ, where, where our old self is gone and our new self has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Here's the reality. When you start a relationship with Christ, it's all about newness. It's not about the old stuff. It's not about adding on the new stuff or adding on the old stuff. It's about a whole new life with Jesus. Jesus is not an add-on. He is meant to replace everything because Jesus changes everything. And Paul said it this way, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As long as Paul was alive, he lived for Jesus. So much so, he could say, to live is Christ. I don't know if we understand that concept all the time. But if you want to live a life, that matters, that has purpose, that has joy, that has peace. If you want to live, then it has to be in Christ. Otherwise, 
It's not the real thing. It's not authentic. It's not what God has for you. And when you try to mix that, it just causes issues. And I think this is a life to strive for, a life to emulate. We, we should want it. It's not a given. It's not automatic. But we should want to say and live like Paul. For us to live is Christ. But many believers are busy trying just are busy merely trying to add Jesus. For example, um, I'm a big fan of cheese, okay? I love cheese. Um, cheese in all forms, okay? I love the different flavors. I love the ones from different countries. Like, I love them when they're old and they smell weird. I love cheese, okay? And there's, yeah, <laughs> all right. There's many things I love to add cheese to, right? We can add cheese to hamburgers, Hot dogs, cupcakes. No, I'm kidding. I don't have cupcakes. Um, But there's many things that we can add it to, right? And I like to add it to. But people try to add Jesus to all kinds of philosophies. For example, someone has a specific political agenda and they think, oh, if they can add Jesus to their cause, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to make them feel better. Someone else is motivated entirely by money and they say, well, if I can add Jesus somehow to this money scheme or this thing, then I I can feel better about what I'm doing. Or they think they can add Jesus to their pursuit of riches. And and maybe someone wants to, to party, right? And they ignore the basic biblical commands, but they still put that necklace with Jesus on a, on their, around their neck, on their little cross, right? Time and time again, people try to do money, physical intimacy, priorities, religion, family, feelings, or anything else their way, but then only add a little Jesus. And then they're shocked when they end up depressed, delusioned, and frustrated, wondering where the joy and the peace the Bible talks about went. Life doesn't work when you only add Jesus to the way you already do things. Instead, you must let him take over. For example, uh, my wife has an awesome F-150. If I added an airplane engine to that bad boy, right, and started that, I'm not taking off, right? I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm probably, if I'm putting it together, it's not doing anything. But the reality is it doesn't make sense. And this is how it is with Jesus. He's not meant to be added onto your life. Instead, he's meant to take over everything. He's the new cloth, the new wine. Give yourself to him and surrender. Don't just add a little bit of him. Give him all. Is our New Year's resolution focused on temporary happiness or a God who is greater than anything we could imagine? How about this year we focus on what God wants and get rid of the pride, self-centered comforts and sin that holds us back from being with Jesus and entrust our lives to Jesus afresh to receive new life in him? Are you ready to get rid of your old self and live in your new self in Christ? In the Gospel of Luke, he also brings up uh, this parable, but here there's an interesting addition to the passage that only Luke records. After everything Jesus already said, after everything we've already talked about, in Mark, Luke says this on verse 39, Luke 5, 39. He says, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. So 
No one has ever accused me of being a wine aficionado, okay? I can't even say that word right. But no one's ever accused me of being an expert in wine. I don't know much about it, but I have heard that aged wine is often better. And Jesus knows this. So he says, when people drink the old, they do not desire the new. And this is a warning. Human nature is like our taste in wine. We think the old is better. But when it comes to Jesus... The old wine isn't better. Your old life isn't better. Jesus is better than the old stuff. Jesus is better than the old stuff. I think about people I've talked to and I've had conversations with about who Jesus is, and they go, Man, I really want Jesus but I really like what I have over here. I like all the girls. I like all the money. I like the way I'm doing things. I know it's against God, but, and I know your Jesus is awesome. I know that he loves me, but this stuff's better. It's easy for us to hold on to the old stuff, but let me be very clear. Jesus is better than the old stuff. He can't be added to. If he is, everything is ruined. Instead, he must replace. And the stuff that he brings is better. And when it comes to Jesus, the old wine is not better. He needs you to give him, all of you, a fresh place for him to operate. But I think, like I said at the beginning, one of the things that prevents us from growing in our faith, from seeing what Jesus has, our purpose, that joy, that peace, again, is that we're adding stuff. And I think the only way to to stop adding Jesus and fully replace him is to get rid of the junk that you already have there. So my question to you today, as we finish up, is what junk am I holding on to? What junk am I holding on to? What are you holding on to? What sin in your life are you saying, "Ah, but Jesus, this is better? What things do you look at and go, I just can't let this go? I'm telling you right now, church, trust Jesus. Surrender. Love that song we were just singing. I surrender all. Let's surrender it all to him. We receive new life in Christ as we let go of our old prideful behaviors, our self-centered comforts and sin. This new year, let's make our goal and resolution about Jesus, the King, the one who loves us most. Spend time with Jesus. Receive Jesus' permission to celebrate. Say, God, I just want to celebrate that you've done what you've done and I am free because of you. Ask God to show you areas in your life you've tried to add Jesus, to stop adding and just getting rid of and replacing Jesus with that. And again, get rid of the junk that you're holding on to and leave it in 2023. True joy comes from Jesus. True peace comes from Jesus. True purpose comes from Jesus. This new year, find these things in the one who gives it to you. Don't do the add-on things, but turn to Jesus. Celebrate your new life in him.
and let him change you. Let's be out with the old and in with the new. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given us an opportunity to be new. Lord, I think of myself and my brokenness and my desires that are not from you, Lord. And I'm so thankful, God, that you've made a way for me to be with you. I'm so thankful that you have taken away my sins by what you did on the cross so that I could have life. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room that has never received this new life, they've never, they've never asked you into their hearts. They've never said, Jesus, I want you. I pray that they would take that moment here on December 31st, 2023, to believe that you are the son of God, that you rose from the dead, and that one day you will be back. And I pray, Lord, that they would realize that they are broken and they need to give you their junk. And Lord, I pray that you remind all of us as we go into this new year that this junk that we have in our life is not better than you. You are the best. You are the new wine. You are the new cloth. You are the bridegroom. Lord, help us not be stuck in our ways, but be stuck in you. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.